Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? So glad that you are here. Glad that you've uh, chosen to come out and be with us here this morning at Freedom Fellowship. It's been a beautiful weekend. I know there's a lot of places you could be today, uh, but glad that you're here with us. We are finishing up a series that we started uh, a few weeks ago called Selfie. And uh, what we've been talking about the last couple weeks is just the fact that, that we live in a culture today where... Uh, you could pretty much say we're, we're all pretty much self-obsessed. We've made self-promotion one of the things that we do. Uh, we take a lot of pictures of ourselves in the mirror uh, with funny-looking faces, and we put those online, or we, or we are on the beach, and we think, you know what, I just need to rub this in everybody's face. So we take a picture of that with our feet at the bottom so they know, like people recognize our feet, and they go, oh, that's Cliff. He's at the beach. I recognize his feet. And, and we do all that. We take pictures of our food. Uh, I'm at Outback Steakhouse. This is the best blooming onion ever. I better put this online so everybody can see it. And so we've just kind of become this culture where we want to put more and more information of ourselves out there. And, and we seem to be, in a lot of ways, kind of self-obsessed. And, and that might seem like a new problem. But like I said a couple of weeks ago, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, they didn't invent this problem. This has been, this has been something that's been a part of, of mankind since the very beginning, uh, since the very beginning of the world. We have, we have always been a, a people who, who are really more concerned with ourselves and our own we- welfare than we are the, the, the welfare of other people. And, and we, now we can do good things and be concerned about other folks, but generally we like to figure out what is this going to mean for me, and we like to, to figure out what we're going to do based on what it means for us. And, and I, I confess two weeks ago to you when, when we began this series, I told you I'm a selfish person. And, and I, I, but I don't think I'm alone in that. I think all of us are basically kind of selfish people, and we have to work hard not to be selfish. No one ever had to teach me as a child to be selfish. That was one of the things I got really quickly. I picked that up right away. What I had to learn was things like how to share and, and how to be nice and how to be kind and, and those kinds of things. But, but selfishness, it came, it came quickly to me because I really believe that, and I think the Scripture teaches, the Bible teaches that, that we are, as human beings, that our default setting is selfishness. We come into the world with that's the way we're set. And then we have to have some action taken on our part for us so that we will no longer be selfish and we can leave selfishness behind. But I want to tell you today that you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to live like that for the rest of your life. You can have a change made in your life. And, and many of you here today, probably all of you here today, uh, live in some kind of home, whether it's a, a house you own or apartment or, or something else. And, and uh, if you've ever bought your own home, uh, and unless you built it yourself, when you bought that home, chances are when you got in there, there was something you wanted to change. The last owners, they wanted stainless steel appliances, but you really wanted the retro Harvest Gold look, so you, you switched those out. Or, you know, the last owners, they wanted, they wanted some nice hardwoods, and you wanted the retro shag carpet, whatever it was. And so, so you, but you can make those changes to a house, and, and, and you can even remove walls and, and, and add on and do all those kinds of things, and you can make that change. And I want you to know today that, that there can be a change made in your life in regards to the fact that, that your default setting is selfishness, that you tend to think mostly about what's best for you and, and really not are concerned for the welfare of other people. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and I want to do that by, by going through a story that, that Jesus told when he was on this earth. One of the things that, that Jesus did is he, he taught a lot using stories. 
And he would tell these stories. And, and the cool thing about the stories that he told is he would always draw a crowd because he was Jesus. He, he, he started to get a reputation and people wanted to hear what he had to say. And he would draw this crowd. And so in the crowd there would be all kinds of people. There would be people there who were church people. And they were, they were the religious people. And, and they thought that, that they had it all together. And then there were people there who were desperate just to hear something because they knew their lives were out of order. And then there were other people there who came just to kind of make fun of, of what Jesus had to say. And then there were other folks there who were, they were true. They really, they followed Jesus around everywhere. And I think it's a perfect thing for us today on Easter Sunday to go through a story of Jesus because really that's what we are today as a crowd. There are some of you here today that, that you're here every week. There are some of you here you're just checking it out. Maybe there's some of you here that you're really here just to make someone happy and you're ready to go to Taco Bell and make fun of what I said today. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad everybody's here. And we're going to go through this story of Jesus because it, I believe it has something to say to all of us. No matter if you're a true believer, no matter if you're a skeptic, no matter if you're here today because you're interested. This story has something to teach all of us. So it's in the book of Luke, chapter 15. All of our scripture is going to be on the screen. But if you do have a Bible with you or a Bible on your phone or, or your, uh, your iPad or something like that, you can pull that up. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. Now this is a, this is a famous story of Jesus that even if you're not a church person, you've probably heard part of it and you've probably heard the term. We call this story the story of the prodigal son. But listen. That's a, bad, that's a bad name for the story because here's the thing. There's more than one son in this story. It's really the story of two sons. And, and the other thing is, is we don't even know what the word prodigal means. You, I, I guarantee you, I, will, you know, I was going to say I'll give somebody $100, but somebody might come and lie to me. But I, but, but I would bet you $100 that I'm not going to pay you that you didn't use the word prodigal this week at all. You didn't type it in an email. You didn't send it in a text. You didn't say to one of your workers something about somebody being a prodigal. We don't, we don't use that term. What prodigal means, it means wasteful. But this is more about the story of one of the sons who was wasteful. This is a story about two sons, and it's really a story about the father in the story. And uh, so if I was going to rename this story, instead of calling it the story of the prodigal son, and by the way, I'm not being blasphemous when I do that because Jesus didn't say, I'm going to tell you the story of the prodigal son. We named it that later. I would call it the story of two selfish sons because both of these guys are selfish. And so they have the same problem we have. So as I read this story, just try to identify with the selfishness of these two sons. So Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11, it says this. Jesus telling the story. And he said... There was a man who had two sons. Let me stop right away. I love it that Jesus starts with saying there was a man who had two sons because he's starting trying to draw our attention not to the sons but to the father. And so as we, as we read through this story, I want your attention to be drawn to the father. And as you sit here today, no matter why you came, I want your attention to be drawn to the father, the heavenly father, God, what he is trying to say to you and do in your life. And so it says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, Look in verse 12 there where, where the younger son comes to the father and says, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, just check out the selfishness of this kid is just, just so in your face and so obvious. 
How much had this kid earned of the father's property? None of it. How much did he deserve to get? Well, he didn't really deserve to get any of it because it wasn't his. He didn't earn it. But he comes to the father demanding to have something that he had not worked for, demanded to have something that, that really he didn't deserve, and he comes demanding it. So his selfishness is really just, just right in your face. And then if you look there in verse 12, he says, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And it says the father divided the property between them. Now, when was it coming to him? When, if this was a son and, and he said that the property was coming to him, when would he get that property? When the father died, right? And so what this son is really saying to his dad is, he's saying this, hey, old man, uh, you're living a lot longer than I expected you to. And I'm ready to get paid. And so I need to get my stuff now because I got plans. And, uh, and if you live another 10, 15, 20 years, I really don't care. I need my stuff. And so he's pretty much telling his dad, I'd rather you be dead and have your stuff than you be alive and me not have your stuff. And so then he says that in the rest of uh, verse 12, it says, so the father, now, if this is my boy, I said, go find another place to live. It's nice knowing you, right? That's what I would want to do. But the father, who's a much more compassionate father than I would be, it says the father divided his property between his sons. Now, that means what he did was he set aside the amount of property that, that the older son was going to get. He didn't give it to him yet because the older son was still living at home. And so he set that aside and no, I'm protecting this because when I die, the boy is going to get this. But he went ahead and gave the stuff to the younger son. Now, that doesn't mean that he got half. Most people who study the Bible and, and know about the original languages and all that stuff, they say that the younger son probably got a third of what this man owned. And we, we think that that was a lot based on what Jesus says about the father in the story. So all of a sudden, this boy has got a lot of stuff. And then it says there in verse 13, it says that, that uh, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. And took a journey. Now what it means there when it says gathered all he had, he had to convert this stuff into cash. Because what the dad gave him was property, cows, sheep, those kinds of things. Now, I don't know the last time you went out and tried to have a big party and pay for it with cows and sheep. doesn't work that well. And so this boy, he, you know, he wanted to throw a big party for himself. He wanted to gather up all his buddies and do all the stuff that people do at parties. And so what he did over the next couple of days is he started selling stuff off. He was selling off acreage. He was selling off cows. He was selling off sheep. I'm sure the other landowners around this father, they were glad because I'm sure they were getting it at a discounted rate because this boy wanted to get his money and get out of town. And so that's what he did. In verse 13, it says that he, he gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and then there he squandered his property in reckless living. And then verse 14, and when he had spent everything, I don't know how long that took. Depends on how great the party was. If it was a real good one, he probably did in about four or five days. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now think about how far this boy has fallen in a matter of, I don't know if it was days, weeks, or months. But he, he was so cocky, so full of himself, so selfish, 
that he went and demanded that he get all this stuff, then he converts it into cash, then he goes and throws a party, everybody loves him, everybody loves the guy who's paying for the drinks, everybody loves the guy who's giving the party, And but then when his money ran out, what happened to his friends? They left because they weren't real friends, they were just there to get a free drink, and so now he's all by himself, and not only does he not have any friends, he doesn't have anything to eat, he doesn't have anything to, to, to anywhere to live, and so he is working as a servant, feeding pigs. Now to us, feeding pigs, that's bad because it's dirty, like dirty, you know, literally dirty, you get mud and stuff on you. But this, remember, this kid is Jewish. And pigs were animals who were unclean. And so on top of the fact that he doesn't have anything, on top of the fact that he doesn't have a family, on top of the fact that he's rejected his father, now he finds himself in a situation that he has been taught his whole life is an unclean situation religiously and ceremonially. And so he has hit rock bottom. He's as low as you can get. And then it says this in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now I want you to notice here in verse 20, there's two things that Jesus wants us to know about this father that are very important. The first one is it says that while the boy was still a long way off, that the father was looking for him. The father saw him and felt compassion on him. This is what he's telling us about the Father and what he's telling us about our Heavenly Father. Is that that boy had rejected him, that boy had disrespected him, and that boy had wasted all the blessings that the Father had given him. But when he came home, the Father was not only ready to accept him, but was longing to accept him. Was standing at the gate, looking down the road, waiting for the day when he could be reunited with his son that he loved so much. And it says that when he saw him, it doesn't say that when he saw him he felt anger. Most of us, if in that situation, if someone had done that to us, when we saw them, it would be all that we could do to keep from cussing them out or kicking them off our property. But it says that when he saw him, he felt compassion on him. And then not only was he waiting to see him and that he felt compassion on him, it says then he ran to him. He ran to meet him in the middle of the road. Now in that day, it was undignified for a man, a landowner with all of that much property and and that much, uh, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He was big time in the community, whatever the word I'm looking for is there. Respect, how about that? With a guy with that much respect, it was undignified for him to take off running. But he, he couldn't help himself. He was so excited to see his son. So Jesus gives us this picture of the father where he's longing to be reunited with his son. And then when he sees him, he takes off and he runs to him. Then it says this in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So all of a sudden, the boy is home and he's not under probation. The father doesn't say, you know, you've done some stupid stuff. You've got to sleep on a porch for a week. And you've got to earn all your stuff back. I'm going to let you work in the fields, and then I'm going to start giving you stuff as you earn it back. No, what does the father say? 
He says, put the best robe we got in the house on this boy. Give him a ring. Give him shoes to wear. And then not only does he do that, but then he says, and let's throw a party for him because he's home. He was given full rights as a son as soon as he came home. He wasn't put on any kind of probation. And in verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So you've got this picture now, this huge party going. Everybody's exciting. Everybody's eating steak. It's, it's awesome. It's just one of the best parties you've ever been to. And then look what happens in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came near and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So where's the older son been this whole time? Younger son, he's out partying, doing whatever he wants, wasting his daddy's money. What's the older son doing? He's working. He's doing what a son is supposed to do. He's working in the field, working for the family, being responsible. And so all of a sudden he hears this party. And verse 26, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now notice this. This is a a really small thing, but I want you to notice this in verse 27. They're having the party, yes, because the boy came home, but why are they having the party? Because the father has received him back. Because the father chose to forgive. See, the son could have come home and there wouldn't have been a party if the father didn't forgive him. The son could have come home and and he would have just been there and he might have even been allowed to live. But the reason there was a party, the reason they were eating steak, the reason they were having a big time, the reason they were inviting the neighbors over is because of the actions of the father. The father decided that he was going to celebrate the fact that his son came home. Then verse 28. But the older son was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You know one of the things that selfishness does to us? It causes us to overestimate ourselves and underestimate what we've been given. That's exactly what this older son does here. He says in verse 29, look, these many years I've served you, I have never disobeyed your commands. Really? Do you think, really, that this boy had never disobeyed his dad's command? Do you think that one day they were out in the field and he looked at the other guys working with him and said, you know what, the old man's crazy, let's knock off early today. I'm sure he did that at some point. He disobeyed his dad. You know why I know that? Because I disobeyed my dad. And you disobeyed your dad. We've all disobeyed. And that's exactly what this guy did. But his selfishness had brought him to a place in his life that he began to overestimate himself and say, I've never disobeyed you, Dad, because he was comparing himself to his younger brother. And then the other thing he does is he underestimates the gifts that he had been given. He says, you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. By the way, wouldn't it be awesome if that's all it took today to celebrate with your friends, just a young goat? I don't even know what you do to celebrate with your friends with a young goat if you dance around it or whatever. But, but he had never had a young goat to celebrate with his friends. But, but he had had so much more than a young goat. He was living in the house. He had the protection of the father. He had his needs provided for every day. He had meals. He had all of those things. But he was underestimating the gifts 
that he had been given. And that's what selfishness does to us. It makes us overestimate our value and underestimate what we've been given. Then verse 30. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother of yours was dead, and now is alive. He was lost and is found. I want you to know this today, and, I want, and we need to deal with this fact today. And the thing that I think this story teaches us is that selfishness causes separation. Selfishness creates separation. That our selfishness creates a separation from our Heavenly Father. When you, when you look at this story, both of these sons were separated from their father. Now the younger son, it's, it's more obvious. Because the younger son... His separation was a, was a literal separation, a physical separation, where he actually had left the house and was no longer there. And, and, and so it was so obvious. And it, it's kind of like uh, situations that, that maybe many of you have lived through and maybe some of you are living through right now where, where a man or a woman decides that, that they want to be out of a marriage. And so a, a man finds a, a younger, thinner version and, and he runs off to, to chase that. Or a woman finds a, a richer, more powerful version that, that, uh, that, that it seems to respect her more. And she runs off and chases that. And so that's a literal separation. It's very obvious. And we would all see that and we would all recognize, wow, this person, was, was they had an affair. They left their wife. They, were, they left their husband. They were very selfish in their actions. And it's very obvious to us. But the older son was also separated from his father. And he was living there, probably eating meals with him every day. Probably a day didn't go by when he didn't talk to his father. But he was separated, and we see that it was so obvious his response to what his father did for his younger brother. We see that the, the older son didn't understand the father at all. He was separated from the father emotionally. And his separation might be harder to see because it was hidden behind rule following. He was following the rules. He was going to work. He was being the good son. But inside him, there was a growing resentment and bitterness. Inside him, there was, there was this thought that, that he was somehow being cheated. That the father didn't love him enough. And so there was a separation between him and the father. And, and that, that, that's like today where, where maybe, maybe you work at a job. And, and it's a good job at first, but then after a while you start looking around and you're like, man, I work harder than these other fools around here. And, and then you start thinking, what would they do without me? I, I kind of run this place, and I don't get paid enough. And how come that guy got an extra week of vacation? And we didn't get a Christmas bonus this year. And you start going on and on, and then all of a sudden, this job that was good, now there's a separation. You're still at the job. But you're separated emotionally. You're separated from your boss. You're separated from your coworkers because you think you're better. You think you've got it all together. You think you deserve more. And that's the same thing that had happened to the son, in this, the, the older son in this situation. Now, today there are some of you here and, and you're like the younger son. You've You've run off. Maybe you were raised in church. Maybe 
Maybe you didn't. Maybe this is kind of the first time you've heard this. But, but when it comes to the things of God and, and the Bible and, and religion and all that stuff, you've wanted to be as far away from that as you can. And you've, you've tried to have a, a literal physical separation between you and God. And you've lived your life in such a way where you've wanted to decide for yourself what's right and wrong. You didn't want, you didn't want, certainly didn't want a preacher to tell you. You certainly didn't want the Bible to tell you or, or someone else to tell you. You wanted to decide that for yourself. You wanted to make your own rules. You wanted to live your life your way. And you've been running like that for maybe years. And and maybe you're at the point where where you're you're like the the younger son and you've hit rock bottom and, and you're feeding pigs and wishing that you could eat what the pigs have to eat. But chances are you're not. You're, you seem to be doing pretty good, but you still know that you're separated because you've run away. And then there's others of you here today that maybe you're like the older son. You're in the house. Maybe you come to church. Shoot, maybe you even serve at church. You Last time we did service Sunday, Donnie stood up here and talked about it, and you might have even signed up to serve somewhere. But then when you think about who God is, you... You know you're separated because there's a bitterness there. You, you, think you, you think you deserve more. You're trying to earn your way to get God's love by being the good son, by obeying the rules. And so you're at home, but you're still separated from God by your pride or, or by your bitterness. See, the younger son thought he deserved the blessings of the father. And then when he got them, he went and wasted them. And so his selfishness was, was that, type, that type. The older son, he thought he was right. And then he wasted the opportunity to know the heart of the father. And so his selfishness had separated him from the father as well. Well, I want to tell you the good news today. The good news about all of this stuff, whether you're the younger son or the older son, is that the father runs to meet us. The father runs to meet us. To meet us. Luke 15, 20 in that story it says, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, it says that the father felt compassion. I want you to know today that no matter what you've been told before, no matter what you've been made to believe, either through something someone told you or through the incorrect thought that's going on in your mind, I want you to know that God loves you, that He has compassion on you, and He will meet you in the middle of your mess. That He runs to you. And see, we get these thoughts in our mind about God that we think maybe He's mad at me. And maybe He's too mad to forgive. Or maybe, maybe he's forgotten about me. Or maybe, maybe he doesn't understand me. And those things separate us from him because, because we've got these, these incorrect thoughts about who he is. But today, Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday is all about the lengths that God has gone to so that you can come back home. He has gone so far so that you can come back home. He has run to meet you on the road. That's how far he's gone. See, what Jesus did was is that, that he was God. He was in heaven. He was in a perfect place. He had no reason to come to us, but he wanted to because of our selfishness. Our sin had separated us from him, and so he came to earth. 
And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. And, and you know the story of, of Bethlehem and, and the star and the wise men and the shepherds and all that stuff. And that's all about the fact that God came to earth. And so he came, comes to earth, he leaves heaven, he leaves perfection, and he comes and he gets a body just like mine and yours that gets sick, that has headaches, that hurts when you work too hard, that twists ankles and all of those kinds of things. And not only that, but he had to deal with the temptations that we deal with. Did you know that Jesus was tempted to sin? Hebrews tells us this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he became one of us. He dealt with temptation. And then he went as far as he could go. As if becoming one of us, leaving heaven was not enough. He willingly went to the cross and was crucified so that we could be brought back home. And even when I say he was crucified, it just comes out of my mouth so easily. And, and we don't even think about what that means so much. When I say that he was crucified, this was the most brutal way to be killed that mankind has ever come up with. And he went willingly to the cross. He ran to meet us on the road by going to the cross. And so because of that now, he, we can come home. And here's the great thing, that while he was even being nailed to the cross, you know who he was thinking about? He was thinking about other people. It says in Luke 23 that while he's being nailed to the cross, he says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He wasn't thinking about himself. His selfishness was long gone he'd never experienced selfishness like we do he was thinking about us and today we can come to him and he has a robe and a ring and a pair of sandals and a party waiting for us he wants us to come home he is going to run to you and meet you on the road now listen that's great news that's world-changing news that's life-changing news but unless you deal with it today, it's just a cool story that you heard on Sunday morning at church. And here's what I can't do for you. I can. I can tell you the story. I can pray for you. I can even get on my knees and beg you to deal with the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you. But you know what I can't do? Is I can't make a decision for you. And I can't tell you if you're separated from God or not. Only you know that and God knows that. I can look at your life and maybe try to figure it out, but I try not to be judgmental. But you know, there are some of you in here right now, you know you're the younger son. There are others of you in here that you know you're the older son. You've been in church, you've heard more sermons than you care to, remember, you've been to more Easter Sundays than you care to think about. And then some of you in here, you're just here today for the first time, never been to church on Easter because some stupid guy you work with wouldn't leave you alone or you're here to make your grandma happy. But you can come home today. There's a great part of this story in, in chapter, in, in Luke 15 and verse 17 where it says that, 
that the, the son had been out. He'd wasted all his money. He's, he's feeding the pigs. And then in verse 17 it says, But when he came to himself, in the midst of his running away, in the midst of his wasting money, in the midst of his partying, he has this moment. He has this moment of clarity where he realizes, you know what, I can go home. Today may be your moment. Maybe for the first time ever, you realize, I'm separated, but I can go home. Or maybe you've known it for a while, but, but you're finally able to admit it. Today can be your moment. But when you come home, you have to come home the way the younger son did. Look what it says in verse 18 and 19. The younger son said, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. If you're going to come home today, you come home humbly. You don't come home demanding to be forgiven. You don't come home demanding to be, to be given something. You come home and you say, God, I know I'm separated. I know I've wandered, but I'm coming home to you today, and I want you to meet me on the road. And he will. The older son missed it. The older son missed it. The older son refused to go into the party because of his pride and his selfishness and his bitterness. Don't miss your moment today. Don't let your pride get in the way of coming home to the Father. Don't let your bitterness get in the way, your selfishness get in the way of you coming home to the Father. See, after Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice, after he went to the cross, his body was taken down off that cross because he was dead. He hadn't just passed out, he was dead. And they took his body and they put it in a tomb. And they put a, a rock in front of that tomb. And everybody thought it was over. His disciples who had followed him around, they were devastated. They had given three years of their life to this man. And now they thought they had wasted their time. But in Luke 24 it tells us, but on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. I want you to know today that the reason you can come home is because you have a forgiving father, but not just because he's a forgiving father, but because he's a victorious father. And he's stronger than your selfishness. He's stronger than your sin. He's even stronger than death. And he has made a way for you to come home. Now I'm going to pray. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to deal with where you are. Are you separated from God? 
If you're the younger son or the older son, you're still separated. And I'm going to pray right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer that you can repeat to yourself. You can repeat it silently. You can say it out loud. You repeat this prayer and, and mean the words in your heart. You're not just saying words, but you listen to them and you mean what you're praying. And I'm going to pray, and you repeat this prayer, that you will come back home. And then when I'm done praying, we're gonna, the band's going to come up, we're going to sing. I'm going to have some guys down here at the front, some of our elders and, and one of our staff members. And if you pray that prayer, I want you to come down, and all you got to do is you can come down and say, I prayed it, and they'll talk with you, they'll pray with you. Or maybe you'll come down and you'll say, I know I'm separated, but I didn't pray the prayer. I, I want to ask a couple questions. These guys will talk to you. This is your moment. Don't miss your moment. Let's pray. Repeat after me if you want to come home. Father God, I've run away from you. And I want to come home. I know I don't deserve it. But I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And because of that, I know that I can come home. I've messed up, but I know you're perfect. Thank you for forgiving me, and I come to you now. Please change my life. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.